Hey, what's up? Welcome current listeners. Welcome new listeners. This is The Will Ford Show, Episode 8. Thank you for joining me. We've got a lot to talk about this week. The Super Bowl is this weekend. We had the Pro Bowl in the NFL. We're going to cover some new topics this this week, some new areas of sports that we've not talked about before. Let's get into it. We're going to start with something that some of you may watch and like, some of you may not like or watch. We're going to, I want to recap the WWE Royal Rumble pay-per-view. I am a big WWE fan. I have been for a long time, for most of my childhood. It was a, a big weekend. A lot of good stuff happened during the Royal Rumble. Shinsuke Nakamura won the Men's Royal Rumble. And he will face AJ Styles for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania. Uh, we had a one big return in this Royal Rumble match. Rey Mysterio returned for the first time in, in a few years. And it was a huge crowd pop when his music started playing. And it was, it was great to see. He looked amazing. He looked like he was in better shape now than he has ever been. It was a great match. Finn Balor was the, First or second entrant in the whole thing and lasted almost an hour. So it was a great match. Shinsuke Nakamura will take on AJ Styles at WrestleMania for the World Heavyweight title. Looking forward to that. And then there was a triple threat match for the Universal Championship between Brock Lesnar, the current champion, Braun Strowman, and Kane. Brock Lesnar won this match. I, I felt this match left a lot to be desired. There was a lot of broken tables, which is always fun to watch and fun to see. And there were a lot of finishing moves, but the match ended really quick. I don't think it lasted... I don't even think it lasted 15 minutes. It was very underwhelming. A lot of Two announced tables were broken. Two or three regular... Tables were broken in the ring. A lot of finishers, but it just didn't seem there just didn't seem to be any any just fighting. It was just all finishing moves on the tables. But uh, the match ended with Lesnar hitting Kane with an F five on a steel chair, while Braun was out of the ring. So that's how Lesnar retained his championship. No one knows if this feud will continue between Strowman and Lesnar. We will we'll have to see. And then, for the first time in history, there was a women's Royal Rumble match. And this was an incredible match. I, I enjoyed this match more than I enjoyed the, enjoyed the men, men's one. There were a lot of big names returning to the WWE. We saw Kelly Kelly return after a few years. The Glamazon Beth Phoenix. Lita, who is one of the greatest Hall of Famers. She's one of the greatest ever. We saw 
uh, Michelle McCool, who I love, The Undertaker's Wife, and probably the greatest women's wrestler all time, Trish Stratus. She entered at number 30, and she had some great moments in that match. Michelle McCool was dominant from the get-go. She eliminated four people within the first five minutes of her being in the ring. She cleared everyone out. I really thought she was going to win the thing just by how dominant she was. But the winner of this Royal Rumble was a newcomer from NXT, Asuka. She is currently undefeated in her career. She was undefeated in NXT and she's undefeated in the WWE on the main Raw roster. Uh, we still don't know if she's going to face Charlotte Flair or Alexa Bliss at WrestleMania. But either way, those, one of those matches is going to be really, really good. But that wasn't the story of the Women's Royal Rumble. Yeah, it was great returns. It was all it was amazing. It was really fun and awesome. But I think the main story here happened after the match. Ronda Rousey is joining the WWE, former UFC fighter and champion. She came to the ring after the match and stared down Charlotte, Alexa Bliss, and Asuka, then pointed to the WrestleMania sign. This is huge. This means that Asuka's obviously going to face one of those two, Alexa or Charlotte, and then I think Ronda Rousey is going to face the remaining uh, woman of those two. And that would be incredible. We've been hearing whispers for a while now that she was going to come to the WWE. and There were rumors that she was going to be in the Rumble. I, I wasn't sure if she was going to be in the Royal Rumble or not. But regardless, she is here. And she is a full-time member of the WWE now. So get used to seeing her on either Monday or Tuesday nights, depending on which brand she signs with. Alright, we're going to move on. Oh, real quick, WrestleMania, I believe, is sometime in April, so we won't cover anything like that until around then. But let's move on. We're going to cover a new sport that we have not talked about on the show at all. We're going to talk about some baseball, some MLB news. The MLB 2018 Hall of Fame class has been announced. The inductees include Chipper Jones, Jim Thome, Vladimir Guerrero, and Trevor Hoffman. Alan Trammell and Jack Morris were voted in by the Modern Era Committee in December, so they're also in the 2018 class. Now, I'm not a huge baseball guy. That's why I haven't talked about it at all on this show. But the reason why I'm talking about this is because Chipper Jones is getting inducted. And I grew up a Braves fan for my entire life, and Chipper Jones is my favorite player ever. So that's, that's why I'm really into this, and I'm excited that Chipper Jones is 
getting into the Hall of Fame. And this is his first year on the ballot, too. This is his first year of eligibility, and he's already getting inducted. So that's great. But I'm really upset with the fact that Barry Bonds still hasn't been inducted. Now I get he used PEDs for a number of seasons and his stats were all inflated, but people forget the guy was winning MVPs before before his documented PED use. You can't tell the history of baseball without mentioning Barry Bonds, which is why I think he, he should be in. Because I think six years is is far too long. He should have been inducted within the first couple years. And in 2019, the Cleveland Indians will be removing their Chief Wahoo logo from their uniforms. Chief Wahoo, along with the Redskins logo, the Florida State Seminoles, Chicago Blackhawks, those logos have been hotly debated topics for a long t for the last couple years. And the reason why is people consider them racist or demeaning to Afri or not African Native Americans. And honest, I honestly disagree, and here's why. First of all. Why wasn't all of this a problem 50 years ago when these teams were founded? Why is it all a problem now? These logos aren't intended to make fun of Native Americans. They're meant to honor them. Some Native American tribe names literally translate to Redskin. Now, I get the history behind it. I understand. I know there are some stories dating back a long time ago where white men would skin and scalp Native Americans. Native Americans were treated horribly when people first came to the Americas. We literally destroyed their lives and we, we isolated them. We forced them to live on reservations instead of letting them keep their land and just taking a little bit of it for our own. I want to read an article. Let me pull it up real quick. Of some of these things I've been talking about just now. It's from Esquire.com. And I want to read this specific excerpt. This person says, quote, but Redskins is not just a twisted compliment like savages, warriors, braves, or redmen. It represents a trophy of war. The bloody scalp of a murdered Native American slaughtered for money, the amount dependent on whether it was a man, woman, or child. That's gruesome. That's horrible. I totally understand all of the history behind it and everything and I can understand why it's racist I, I totally get it but I don't think that was any team's intention when they founded these teams and created these logos and and came up with these names 
I don't think it was any team's intention to disrespect Native Americans at all. I mean, do you honestly believe that? Do you really think people set out to be racist towards Native Americans? A Washington Post poll from 2016 found that 9 in 10 Native Americans aren't offended by the redskin name. And I would assume that would go for any other team that has a name or logo related to Native Americans. Nine in ten Native Americans said they didn't think it was racist. It's not for the majority of the population to say whether or not things like this are offensive or racist. It's for the Native Americans to decide that. They... This poll says 90%, 9 out of 10, Native Americans don't think it's racist. And if they don't think it's racist, then why get rid of the names? Why get rid of the logos? Those team names like Seminoles, Braves, Blackhawks, Redskins, they aren't intended to be racist. Those logos aren't intended to be racist. They may come across that way, and I totally get that. I understand it. I get the history behind it. But I honestly believe they were meant to honor Native Americans, not be demeaning towards them. Roger Goodell said just recently, actually, that he doesn't think the Redskins' name should be changed, and he doesn't think it will change. And I think that should tell you right there that it's intended to honor Native Americans, not be discriminatory towards them. Alright. I want to move on to a new sport, another new thing we have not covered on this show at all. We're going to do a little bit of tennis. Roger Federer won his sixth Australian Open title over Marin Cilic in a five-setter. He won 6-2-6-7-6-3-3-6-6-1. And this win ties him with Roy Emerson and Novak Djokovic for the most Australian Open titles all time. And this win also makes Federer the first man to win 20 Grand Slam titles. At 36 years old, Roger looks better than he was five years ago. Remember there was a four or five year stretch where Roger Federer didn't win a single Grand Slam title at all? He was still a great player, one of the best in the world, but he wasn't winning any major titles. And now... He, he won two last year. He won the Australian Open last year in Wimbledon also. And now he has the 2018 Aussie Open. And this match was actually great. This was a great match. He dominated the first set. Marin Cilic just looked very nervous, very shaky out there, was, wasn't hitting his spots. Footwork was was off, and he just seemed very jittery and wasn't ready. And Federer took it to him in the first set. Second set, 
No serves were broken. It went to a tie break, and Federer lost the tie break. That allowed Chilich to settle in a little bit, and then Federer took the third set. Fourth set, Federer had a break up on Chilich, and I think Federer started looking towards the finish line a little bit and started to coast, and Federer ended up getting broken twice and lost that set, but then just completely dominated the fifth set. It's incredible how consistently good Federer has been over his career. He's currently ranked number two in the world behind Rafael Nadal. In my opinion, he should be number one. Federer beat Nadal two or three times last year. Beat him in the final at the Australian Open. He beat him at Indian Wells, and I'm thinking he beat him at another smaller tournament. I'm not totally sure on that, but he definitely beat him at least twice. Nadal also did get two majors of his own last year. He won the French Open for the 10th time and 10 uh, wins in one in one tournament. That's incredible. But he won the French Open and he won the US Open. So they both got two majors, but in terms of head to head, Roger dominated Now, I don't really understand the, how the ranking system works in tennis. I don't, I don't get it all that much. It, it's, there's got to be some kind of point system set up with the, the smaller tournaments they play. I'd have to look into that. But regardless, Federer is amazing, and he's uh, consistently been great, and he's amazing at his age. And he has cemented himself as the greatest male tennis player of all time. All right. We've got a lot happening in the NBA right now. Some huge injury updates to get you guys caught up on. DeMarcus Cousins tore his Achilles, his left Achilles, in a game recently. And now he is out for the rest of the season, obviously. Paul George will replace him on Team LeBron. And Paul George should have been an all-star to begin with. And it's unfortunate that he's won now because of the circumstances. But that's happened to a few all-stars this year. feel bad for DeMarcus Boogie Cousins, but he'll bounce back. It's unfortunate. He's been playing great basketball lately too, but hopefully he has a speedy recovery. John Wall is out two months with a knee injury, and frankly, I think that's going to derail the Wizards season. They haven't been having a great season anyways, and with him out two months, that'll bring him back close to the playoffs or around the playoffs. So they may make the playoffs still, but I, I don't think they're going to get very far. First or second round, second round max, depending on who they play and what seed they are. But now Andre Drummond is going to replace John Wall on Team LeBron. By the way, Drummond 
tore it up against the Cavs the other night. 21 points, 22 rebounds, 7 assists, 3 blocks, and 3 steals, and the Pistons won 125-114. And we're going to get to the Pistons here in a minute. We've got some big news with the Pistons. And then Kevin Love for the Cavs is out 6-8 to eight weeks with a broken left hand. That he suffered in that game against the Pistons or uh, in the first quarter. No word on who's going to replace him on Team LeBron. And I just realized LeBron just lost three players he picked. All three of those players that got hurt were on Team LeBron. Curry didn't lose a single one. That's crazy. But with Kevin Love being out, I think the Cavs' season is officially lost. It's over. I don't think there's any way they can recover from this. I mean, they're struggling right now as it is. And they've been having trouble working, working in IT. And IT's been back for a while. And if they do get something going without Love in the lineup... In two months' time, when Love comes back, they're going to have to reintegrate him into the offense. It's going to take time to to figure things out again. So I just – they may make a run and finish second or third in the East. But when Kevin Love comes back, that's just going to change everything. Nothing's going the Cavs' way this season. And I am calling it right now. I guarantee they will not make the finals. Uh, they still may reach the conference finals depending on how the seeding works. Because we're, without Kevin Love right now, which is a huge loss, they could finish as low as like the sixth seed in the, in the East. Right now they're third. Behind Toronto and Boston, the Heat aren't far behind. Which is surprising. They're a sneaky four seed. The Miami Heat. Whiteside, Goran Dragic, and Dion Waiters, and Justice Winslow. That's a sneaky four seed. But they have virtually the same record right now. Miami's only a game or so back. So, we'll see how this injury plays out. I, I don't know. Whenever a team has LeBron on it, usually they do pretty well, and usually they have a great chance of of advancing really far in the finals. But this year, I don't know. I just don't see it happening. Also, Andre Roberson, shooting guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder, is out for the rest of the season with a ruptured patella tendon and that's horrible he couldn't move his leg at all on the court had to get carried off on a stretcher knee brace on so that's bad for the thunder because they lose a good defensive player but they'll figure it out they won't it won't hurt them all that much but that's really unfortunate for roberson 
And now the biggest story in the NBA right now, a blockbuster trade. The Los Angeles Clippers traded Blake Griffin, Bryce Johnson, and Willie Reed to the Pistons for Avery Bradley, Tobias Harris, Boban Marjanovic, and a first and second round pick. To me, this might be a little bit too much. It is still three for three and two, two picks also. I think one pick maybe would have been fine. So it might be a little too much. But it's not a horrible deal. When I first saw this, I thought it was just Blake for the three players and the two picks, and that would have been way too much. But at least the Pistons are getting Bryce Johnson and Willie Reed. At least they're getting something else out of it, too. And this this trade totally came out of nowhere. Like, I legit got a notification saying that there was serious talks with the Pistons about Blake Griffin, and then half an hour later, the deal's done. Totally came out of nowhere. DeAndre Jordan and Lou Williams seemed like the players that were likely to get chopped first. And they just re-signed Blake Griffin to an extension in the offseason. I don't think anyone saw this coming. Blake Griffin didn't even see it coming. He found out about the trade on Twitter. That's a horrible way to find out the trade. I honestly thought Blake would be the last guy left standing in Clipperland. To me, this begins early indications of a rebuild. Doc Rivers said they aren't rebuilding, but when you suddenly, out of the blue, trade your best player, and you could be trading your second best player and an outstanding sixth man, it sure sounds like a rebuild. It, it honestly sounds like you're beginning to commit to a rebuild when that happens. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if DeAndre Jordan and Lou Will were on new teams come the trade de deadline, which is in around eight or so days. I really wouldn't be surprised. But this looks like a, a rebuild now for the Clippers. And if they're going to do a rebuild, Doc Rivers is not the guy to do a rebuild. They're going to have to find a new coach, maybe bring in a guy like David Fisdale, and then you rebuild. Maybe if you want to keep Doc around because he's he's a good basketball mind, maybe you you move him upstairs, you put him in a in a uh sort of a GM role or or something like that. But yeah, it looks like a rebuild for the Clippers. And this move instantly makes the Pistons better. They're losing a little defense with Avery Bradley. And Tobias Harris is a good floor spacer. But they're getting a top 25 player who can play well along, on, alongside Andre Drummond. Like, if you have a chance to go get a top 25 player, you do it. 
Blake can stretch the floor a little bit. He can hit the three. And they look like now a, an actually almost legitimate threat in the East. They're not going to win the East. They likely won't make the Eastern Conference Finals. But it may shake up the seeding in terms of the Cavs because right now the Pistons are in eighth. They're at the bottom. But now this ensures they'll make the playoffs. It'll take a few games for them to get into the flow of things, get used to each other. But this ensures now that Detroit gets a, a playoff spot. Unless it just absolutely doesn't work out at all. But they can give some teams some trouble. Like I really wouldn't be surprised if maybe the Pistons matched up against the Cavs in the playoffs and the Pistons won. Wouldn't be surprised at all. All right, I want to move on now to a funny story. Uh, still NBA. Russell Westbrook thought he was picked last in the All-Star draft when he saw the rosters. He was listed at the bottom of Team LeBron's roster, which is why he thought that. But actually, it was just listed in alphabetical order. And so, Westbrook, W, you're going to be down at the bottom. Uh, but I'm not really sure if Westbrook actually believed he was picked last. I don't think he believed he was picked last because you have guys like Al Horford and Kyle Lowry and and like Victor Oladipo and no disrespect to those guys at all. Those are great they're great players, but Russell Westbrook's an MVP. He's a triple double monster. So Yeah. But that's that's pretty funny though. Not sure if he actually believed it, but still funny. Alright, we're gonna segue now over to the NFL. I got a lot of NFL news to cover this week. Carson Wentz, remember he tore his ACL back against the Rams close to the end of the season. And now Nick Foles has taken them on this dramatic run to a Super Bowl, which is incredible. But along with tearing his ACL, he also tore his LCL in his knee. But the Eagles are saying his rehab isn't going to be significantly impacted by this added element to his injury. And that's great for the Eagles. That's great. So nine nine or so months is usually the, the timetable on that. So he should be back by the beginning of the season. He might miss the first game or so. But if they still have foals, they'll be fine. And then Des Bryant for the Cowboys has – he's been – talked about recently he was talked about at the end of the year for his inconsistent performance and he's really had a, a disappointing and, un, and non-productive year altogether and there were talks at the end of the season on whether or not Dallas should trade Dez or just straight up cut him now if I were Jerry Jones and the Cowboys 
I would definitely explore trade options for Dez. Although Dez is inconsistent with his production, I think a team would still trade a first-round pick for him. The right team would. A team like Chicago may trade a first-round pick for him, but if they think they can get Calvin Ridley, they, they won't do it. Dez is still a top 10 to 15 receiver in this league. I really think Dallas can get a first rounder for Dez. At the minimum, a second. Cutting him gives Dallas no benefit. Number one wide receivers don't just grow on trees. They don't. He's still a very good player. He still is. And he's probably still the best receiver in football at high-pointing balls and, and going up and getting them. He is probably still the best in the league at that. If you cut Dez, you have to eat the guaranteed money you're paying him. Trading him will at least free up the cap space. You can't cut Dez if you're Dallas. You either have to explore trade options for him or keep him and trust in him that he will be the beast he once was. And now, the biggest story in the NFL, like this is a huge domino effect thing here, the Kansas City Chiefs traded quarterback Alex Smith to the Washington Redskins for a third round pick and cornerback Kendall Fuller. I love this move for both teams. Alex Smith is a good quarterback, but he hasn't been able to put together playoff wins over his career. And the Chiefs have a young stud in Patrick Mahomes who has drawn comparisons to Brett Favre. Those are some big comparisons. That's Those are huge shoes to fill. But he's been drawing comparisons to him for his play style and his huge arm. This kid has a cannon. And now by, by trading Alex Smith, they free up $15 million in cap, which is huge. And now they have a young quarterback on a rookie deal who looks ready to play. And then they got a third round pick, which is great. It's always great when you add a draft pick. And then a nice corner in Kendall Fuller is only 22 years old. That's a great deal if you're the Chiefs because you're, you have a young quarterback for cheap money. You're getting a young corner who you can develop and you get a third round pick out of it. I love this deal for Kansas City. And I also love it for the Redskins. The media and the media in general has been struggling with the concept of knowing what's going on with the Redskins and Kirk Cousins, whether or not he's going to sign a long-term deal or not. And I thought he was more than deserving of a long-term deal after he tore it up. Last season, he was incredible last season, almost threw for 5,000 yards. And then he was really, really good the year before that. 
And then he was franchise tagged a few times. And the Redskins actually ended up by franchise tagging him, paying him more for one season instead of what he's actually worth at market value. But obviously, I think the reason why he wasn't signed long-term is obviously because his relationship with the front office wasn't great. Which is why they wouldn't commit to him long-term. The Redskins are getting a very solid quarterback in Alex Smith, who's, who's older by, a, by about four years. But he's just as good. He's more consistent, like... Kirk Cousins has some up and down phases. It's like a wave. But but Alex Smith is is more like a straight line and then he has a little bit of a peak and then a little bit of a, a dip a little bit, but it's mostly just a straight line. Just constant. And now by getting Alex Smith, they can let Kirk Cousins walk. And by letting him walk, you free up what would have been around $34 million if you tagged him again. He made around $25 million this year on the franchise tag, so actually they freed up $25 million. But if they had tagged him again, he would have been making about $34 million. And that's far and above his market value. And Alex Smith might actually fit better under Jay Green's system than Kirk did. The the West Coast style of offense. Alex Smith is more mobile. Arm talent's about the same. But Alex Smith has been in this league a lot longer. He has playoff experience. He is very smart. He is an outstanding football mind. He, he knows a lot about the game and about defensive schemes. So... Right now, Alex Smith is actually the better quarterback. Now, in terms of long-term, I would rather have Kirk Cousins just simply because of age and that Kirk Cousins can learn. And you wouldn't, I wouldn't pay him much more than what he was making. I would probably pay him around 23 to 25. But because they tagged him so many times, the, the Redskins would have had to have paid him more than market value. They would probably would have paid him around 28, 30 million if they signed him to a long-term deal. So it's I would much rather have Alex Smith than do that. And Alex Smith is cheaper too. Because of his age, he's not going to cost as much. And with that, that means Kirk Cousins is now the premier free agent this offseason. And a lot of teams are going to be bidding for his services. So I'm going to give you the five best potential landing spots that I think could be a great fit for Kirk Cousins. Number five, the Denver Broncos. A lot of people may have Denver higher on their lists, but I have them at five. Their defense is great. It's top five in the league. 
but it has some aging stars on it. Vaughn Miller is aging. Akib Talib is, is in his 30s. They're, they're almost like Seattle's defense. Aging and pricey. C.J. Anderson and, and Devontae Booker are solid running backs, and Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders provide Cousins with good targets on the outside. They have a high draft pick this year, which can help them add another piece. And they'd be a great team for a few years with Cousins at quarterback. But that defense isn't going to last five, six years. They're going to have to do some replacing and getting rid of guys because some of these guys are just going to get too old. But they would be great, and that would be a great fit for a few years, about three or four years. Number four, I have the Arizona Cardinals. With Carson Palmer gone, the Cardinals are in desperate need of a quarterback. Their, their cap situation isn't great right now, but there's ways around that. They, that can be fixed easily. They have some young, good young defensive pieces, and their defense, I honestly think, is a top 10 defense in the league and is young, and they can continue to get better. Larry Fitzgerald won't be around much longer, but they have a top three running back in the league in David Johnson. And they have a new head coach in Steve Wilkes, who is well-respected around the league, and Mike McCoy, at offensive coordinator, who's worked with Peyton Manning and Phillip Rivers. As long as the cap is worked out, this could be a really good place for Cousins. I like this better than the Broncos long-term. The only problem would be receivers when Larry Fitzgerald retires, but there's plenty of good receivers in the draft every year, and they'll be fine. This could be a really good place for him. Number three, I have the Cleveland Browns. Now, before you laugh at me, hear me out. Please hear me out. The Browns will always be the Browns. There's no denying that. But there is hope for the land. The Browns have the number one and number four pick in the first round of the 2018 draft. Three second rounders and two third rounders. That's a lot of picks. Add that to over $100 million in cap space. And Cleveland can turn things around pretty quick. As long as John Dorsey, their new GM, drafts right, maybe gets Saquon Barkley at running back, or Bradley Chubb on defense, or Roquan Smith, that beast linebacker out of Georgia, or maybe they get an offensive lineman. They can also address some of that in the second and third round. But if, if Dorsey hits the draft out of the park... The Browns can actually build something special, and I'm not kidding about that. I am not kidding. That could be a really interesting team in a few years if they get Cousins and they draft right. Number two, I have the New York Jets. The Jets are another team with a lot of cap room 
entering the offseason, and they have the sixth pick in the draft. They need to head into a different direction at quarterback, and Kirk Cousins definitely fits the bill. Todd Bowles is a really good coach. They have, a, they have young superstar talents on defense with Jamal Adams being one. And they have some nice weapons on offense. Robbie Anderson looked really good. Jermaine Curse is in a scrub. Austin Safarian Jenkins at tight end is solid. They have three of the top 50 picks in the draft. And a ton of cap room, like I already said. And let, let's not forget, the Jets overachieved this year with Josh McCown at quarterback. And no disrespect to McCown, he's a very viable quarterback at his age. But Kirk Cousins could do a lot more with that team. That would be a really interesting spot. And they could actually be, once Brady's gone in, in New England... You'd be looking at your division winner every year and a legitimate threat in the playoffs. And number one, I've got the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I know Blake Bortles just led the Jags to the AFC Championship and almost to a Super Bowl. They should have beaten the Patriots. I love Blake Bortles, and I've been high on him lately. I, he's... He's been great. But if you have the opportunity to get Kirk Cousins, you take it. Cousins is better than Bortles. I'm not denying that. Jags owner Shahid Khan said Bortles is his quarterback of the future, but now that Cousins is available, that could change things. That might change his mind. The Jags have the best defense in the NFL, undoubtedly. Calais Campbell, Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, Talvin Smith, Barry Church, Marcel Darius. It's a great defense. Number one in the league, hands down. And they have great young skill position players. Leonard Fournette at running back. Receivers Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, Alan, Ro or Alan Hearns. And Allen Robinson, who is likely to re-sign with them. He was, he was injured this year, but he's a great receiver, and he's likely to re-sign. And they have a really good offensive line. Their offensive line only gave, gave up 24 sacks all season, which was third in the NFL. The Jags give Cousins the best opportunity to compete for Super Bowls on a yearly basis. I'm really interested to see how this Kirk Cousins thing shakes out. I'm really excited to see where he goes. Those, I think, are the five best places for Kirk Cousins. All right. We're going to move on now to the NFL Honors. The NFL Honors Awards are going to be given out after the Super Bowl, I believe. And I'm going to give you guys my predictions for the NFL honors. MVP, 
Tom Brady. I don't think that's much of a surprise. I have Gurley second. And then third, I've got Case Keenum. Keenum was great this year and led the, the Vikings to a 13-3 record and got them to an NFC Championship game, albeit on a fluke play. But he was still great this year, and he's going to get a huge payday. I would have said Carson Wentz at number three, even though he's injured, but Nick Foles proved that the quarterback position isn't the most valuable position on the Eagles. I think it's their defense and their, their running backs and the system they have, really. But most valuable player, I've got Tom Brady. Coach of the year is clearly Sean McVay. Everything he's done with Gurley this year, Jared Goff, he turned Robert Woods into a really good receiver. Clearly Sean McVay. Offensive player of the year, Todd Gurley. Amazing from scrimmage this year. Was absolutely incredible. He was great for fantasy football owners. I lost the championship in my fantasy league because of Todd Gurley and because Antonio Brown was out for me, but that's besides the point. I think Todd Gurley will be the offensive player of the year. Defensive player of the year, on the other hand, I am not really all too sure. Uh, I've got four listed here that I think have the best chance to to win defensive player of the year. Calais Campbell from Jacksonville, Aaron Donald from the Rams, Cam Jordan from the Saints, and Jalen Ramsey from the Jaguars. They all had tremendous years. Aaron Donald is probably the best defensive player in football. Cam Jordan had a breakout year. Ramsey is the best cornerback in the league. And Calais Campbell is a beast. If I had to pick one, I'm going to pick one. I think it'll be Calais Campbell. And no particular reason. I'm just picking one of the four. Offensive rookie of the year. I think it'll be either Alvin Kamara or Kareem Hunt. Alvin Kamara was great this year in New Orleans, and he was he was sharing snaps with Mark Ingram, and he was still outstanding. And then Kareem Hunt, I can see getting it just because he was the leading rusher in the league this year as a rookie. So I can definitely see Kareem Hunt winning it. I can see Kamara winning it. I'm going to give the edge to Kamara in just terms of overall productivity, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hunt won it either. Defensive player of the year. Sorry, not defensive player of the year. Defensive rookie of the year, my bad. I think is going to be Marshawn Lattimore. He clearly established himself as one of the top corners in the league as a rookie. He's outstanding. And then comeback player of the year. It has to be Keenan Allen. He tore his ACL in 2016. He's had a multitude of other injuries before, but he, had, he tore his ACL in 2016, and then this year he had almost 1,400 receiving yards. So he was 
great this year. Definitely comeback player of the year. All right. The Super Bowl is this Sunday. It's right around the corner, everyone. Now, I'm not all that excited. I think we all know who's going to win. I'm not too interested in watching it, to be honest. I'll tune in, but I'm not going to watch it, watch it, if you know what I mean. But I will say this. Even though the Patriots will win, they won't dominate the Eagles. The Patriots aren't a dominating team. Oh, and another big thing about this game, Rob Gronkowski got hurt in the AFC Championship. He got a concussion. He is still currently in concussion protocol, but they're all saying he is going to play. And as long as he plays, they'll be fine. If he doesn't play, I still think they'll be fine because they've won Super Bowls before without him. So, not a huge loss if he's not there, but it's a, it's a big loss, but it's not a deal breaker. But anyways, the Patriots, Patriots aren't a dominating team. Like, why do you think Brady has so many come-from-behind wins? The 28-3 comeback in the Super Bowl last year against the Falcons. The 20-10 comeback against the Jags this year in the AFC Championship. They don't dominate teams. I think there's this imaginary mystique surrounding the Patriots that they're unbeatable. And that's not true. I think teams play against the Pats with the mindset that, that the Pats are unbeatable. And as soon as one drive goes bad or one play, they think, oh no, here we go. We're in trouble. It's over. It's going to be a long night. But as long as the Eagles don't think that way, they'll be fine. The first game in the season, the Chiefs whipped the Patriots. The Eagles just need to watch film of that game and look at what look at the defensive schemes that worked for the Chiefs and and use that to their advantage and just run similar sets, run similar schemes. As long as the Eagles don't get sucked in sucked in and buy in to this unbeatable mystique, the quote unquote unbeatable mystique mystique, they'll be fine. They'll probably still lose. <laughs> That's the harsh reality of it, but it'll be a closer game than they think, than people think. That's it for me this week, guys. Follow me on Twitter, at The Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes, please. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. This has been The Will Ford Show.
Production. <laughs>